Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great, Sherry. And how about yourself? Doing really well and very excited to have our next guest on our podcast. Um, Today, we are interviewing Shannon Knapp. She is the founder and president of Horse Sense of the Carolinas, an internationally recognized leader in the field of equine-assisted psychotherapy and learning. She is also the executive director of Heart of Horse Sense, which is a nonprofit dedicated to supporting professional equine-assisted therapy and learning for veterans and at-risk youth. This organization is located in Western North Carolina. Welcome, Shannon. Ah, thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Good morning, Shannon. Glad to have you. So, Shannon, the first thing that we'd like to do is just jump right in, and you tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, goodness. Well, uh, the least interesting part of this conversation will be that. Uh, (laughs) I was born and raised in Central Florida and uh, had a lifelong love of horses. I was hanging out with my first horse with a pony named Snowball, and uh, so I I come by this honestly. Um, I I have a master's in English. I taught college English for many years um, and before getting back into horses. And I got out of it during, you know, college and grad school and then got back into horses and then started getting into horse rescue and rehab. And that's where the really the beginnings of Horse Sense uh, took took part, I mean, took took effect, um, working with rescue rehab horses and seeing these horses that were in need of meaningful futures. Um, they'd had rough paths through no fault of their own. They'd been in difficult circumstances, and, and they were kind of languishing with nothing to do at uh, the local rescue uh, once they'd been rehabbed. And uh, they were they were looking looking for meaningful work. I mean, we all even no matter who we are, like you know, we all need meaningful work. So mm-hmm. that was the genesis of uh, Horse Sense was trying to find meaningful work and solving problems of the rescue. Uh, the rescue was becoming full of happy, healthy, young, unrideable horses, and uh, couldn't take in the starvation cases and the things that you see on the news. Um, so we had to move. It was just a numbers game. We had to move some horses to make space for those who were in desperate need. And uh, I'm like, hmm, what yeah. if we could give these horses a job helping people? Because, of course, my horses had been doing that for me all along, right? Uh, mm-hmm. we, we come to this field honestly. We, Those of us in the equine-assisted therapy and learning profession, our horses have usually been what has either kept us sa- sane or gotten us sane. <laughs> right. <laughs> Relatively. Gotcha. Well, you you definitely um, have said in your in the pre call that we had with you that you consider yourself a lifelong equestrian. So, um, all of the things that you just shared with us kind of encompass that. But do you have any other thing that you know stands out for you as as to define lifelong equestrian? Well, lifelong equestrian for me was never about competition. Competition, you know, like shows and, you know, racing or any of that sort of stuff was never really in my interest. I was much more interested in the connection and the relationship 
um, although I wouldn't have called it connection and relationship when I was 10, um, but it was about, you know, presence. And so, so I, I have no, no qualifications when it comes to shows or ribbons or any of those sorts of things, because that was just never a part of my world. Thank you. Shannon, uh, you shared with us in our pre-call uh, that you had a personal journey of finding wellness, and, uh, and then you made a move to Asheville, North Carolina, and you started yeah. working with rescue horses. What made yeah. you choose Asheville, North Carolina? What made you fall in love with these horses that needed a safe and loving environment? How did, how did that happen? Well, Asheville came about because I'm originally from Florida, and as anyone from Florida knows, people from Florida vacation, and if they're lucky, they eventually get to move to Western North Carolina, where we go to see snow. <laughs> we actually do know about where that. we go to see snow for the first time, where we see you know fall, that sort uh-huh. of thing. Um, so my grandfather had been coming here when he was a boy, my father when he was a boy. When I was a girl, I was always up in the Boone, Banner Elk, uh, Asheville area and knew that this was some place that I wanted to be um, when I you know, finally settled down. <laughs> so that was, that was relatively easy. My husband was in the Air Force, and so it, it, was, it only took convincing him that he also wanted to be here, which was not a hard sell. Um, and so that's why we ended up here in western North Carolina in the Asheville area. Nice. And so uh, the horses... How did you find the horses there in the Asheville area? How did how did that come together? Oh, so sorry, I, I apologize. You, you did ask that. So when we moved here, um, we were looking for um, fifty acres, fifty usable acres, and we knew we wanted to do horse rescue. We had been doing big dog rescue when we lived in Texas. We had had Rotties and pit bulls and shepherds and all sorts of big dogs, dogs with issues. We used to say and. Uh, so we knew we wanted to do that at a, a larger scale uh, with horses. So when we moved to, we're actually just outside of Asheville in between Leicester and Marshall. And when we found the property, finally, after two years of searching, um, it happened to be down the road um, from a horse rescue, which I thought was, you know, divine intervention, serendipity, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it was a good thing. And I started volunteering with the rescue right down the road. And my husband and I had brought our two horses from Texas with us. Um, and then we started working with the rescue. And, it, you know, anybody who's ever adopted or fostered uh, fostered knows that, you know, there's a lot of foster fail, which that's definitely, we failed a lot in fostering. So we ended up adopting a lot of horses um, who... I was particularly on the lookout for horses that couldn't make their way in any other circumstance. They weren't going to be somebody's, you know, 10-year-old backyard rideable horse. Um, and they weren't going to be uh, showing or jumping or competing or any of those sorts of things. Um, but they, they really didn't have anything that made them, quote-unquote, stand out in the normal horse world. Mm-hmm. And so those were the horses that I was particularly drawn to, that and a couple of special characters along the way, uh, the first of which was a retired Asheville City Police Department horse, who Sergeant Gus uh, retired. And the Asheville City, when it was still had mounted horses, um, Gus uh, was was retired to help for horses. When it still had mounted horses, all the police horses would retire to the nonprofit down the road from us. And I met him, and the rest was history. And he's he was with us for 20 years. Yep, he just passed last year. 
God bless him. He's such a sweet horse. Yeah, I, I actually got a chance to meet Sergeant Gus a couple of years ago, and uh, you're right. I was yeah. really impressed, and um, what a what a magnificent story if he could talk. <laughs> that he, Wise uh, old soul. Yeah, 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 he was cool. Well, I'm sorry that he passed, but uh, I know that he definitely brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. Um, so you founded Horse Sense of Carolinas in 2003. What was your mission in 03, and has it changed to today? The mission broadly then was um, rescued horses, horses with issues, working with people with issues. That's the kind of the internal joke that we would say and trying to simplify our mission and vision for folks that we would pair horses and humans for mutual healing. Um, and that has, that as an umbrella has remained true. Um, the how shifted uh, we didn't know when we first started whether we were going to be strictly and solely equine-assisted psychotherapy and learning, if we were also going to do some natural horsemanship uh, instruction and training. We weren't quite sure exactly how, but we wanted to be a part of, we wanted to, you know, be the change <laughs> and uh, participate in the change for horses and for people. Mm-hmm. And it ended up shaking out fairly quickly that Horse Sense of the Carolinas was going to focus on the equine-assisted psychotherapy and learning. Almost exclusively, everything we did and have done has been with a mental health professional present, with a horse professional present, what we call the treatment team, uh, and with one or more horses. So we've been what we would what would be considered a clinical intervention pretty much from the get-go, and that became more and more of the focus as we have have grown and developed through the years. Wow. And one of the things that uh, we're going to get a little bit about the programs, because I know you have a variety of programs that uh, can can meet uh, people's needs in all different areas uh, of, of uh, mental health and wellness. But one of the things that you talked about in our pre-call, which Sherry and I both found really fascinating, was talking about neural pathways in the brains of humans and horses mm-hmm. and how they are similar and how that helping horses and helping people are parallel when it comes to horse and human healing therapy work. Could you talk about that a little bit? I found that fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually the the non-scientific version was the the pathway that got us to horse sense was recognize, me recognizing that the way to help rescue rehab horses um, and the way to help people were, were parallel, were similar. Uh, and the reason that is, uh, or among the reasons that that is, is that horses share with humans what we kind of call the original trauma brain. So horses um, are prey animals, right? They're poised to fight, flight, freeze, uh, fidget, you know, there's all sorts of different responses, but the big three are fight, flight, freeze. And they're going to run first and ask questions later. And if they can't run, then they're going to freeze or they're going to fight, right? Those are the choices that they're going to make. Um, but the horse can, you know, the, 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 the joke is, so we say horses are prey and they're flight animals. And yet when you're driving down the countryside road and you see horses on the side of the road, they're not running for their lives at every moment. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, they're calm. So how does that happen, right? How do you take an animal that is a prey animal, and how does he or she 
uh, continue to be in a state of calm, right? And so I started to wonder these things, like, how do we get there? Um, and as we were working with various horses that were coming to us with really rough backgrounds, um, I started to realize that certain ways of interacting with them, and the phrase that I'll use is a phrase that we use over and over again. We use rhythmic, patterned, repetitive behaviors, rhythmic, patterned, repetitive interactions that help um, heal traumatized brains or help grow brains that are at core uh, trauma brains, right? The horse reflex to go to instinct of flight is, a, it's a very short um, trip for them because if it's not a short trip, then they're going to die, right? That's the way it works mm-hmm. in the wild. So um, we want to help horses be able to become the partners with us that are going to that we're going to be able to feel safe in, and that they're going to be able to feel safe in, right? So how that happens is that we re-pattern or we build neural pathways from the lower regions of the brain to the upper regions of the brain. Now it's not quite the same in horse physiology in humans. I think we're all probably familiar with uh, what's often called the triune brain, where you've got the brain stem and the amygdala, and then the, the the midbrain, and then the neocortex. So there's really like you know three big areas of the brain in the human brain, and it is truly bottom to top. Horses don't necessarily go bottom to top, but that pathway is still there. They're going from the lower survival regions of their brain to the upper thinking regions of their brain so that a horse that I'm playing with at any given time, when he first comes to the farm, he may be patterned to respond with a really big, overwhelming survival instinct, right? And that's appropriate. We want that survival instinct intact, especially if he's come from a rough background. That's what's kept him safe. So he might look at a long, coiled, round object on the ground and immediately think snake, right? And then he's off to the races. He's jumped the fence and he's in the next county. Not helpful, right? So certainly it's appropriate for survival, <laughs> right. but it's not very helpful if you're trying to like, oh, go for a trail ride or you know, work with people. Um, so the more a horse has the ability to build neuropathways in their brain that help them get to kind of thinking centers like the cortex and neocortex, the more likely they are going to be able to do what we help people do, have the ability to guide and override, use the upper regions of the brain to guide and override my response, right? So that horse looking down doesn't immediate, may immediately think snake, but those neural pathways in his brain are well-developed enough that he can then go to that region of his brain and say, nope, that's a garden hose, I'm safe, right? And that guide and override, he doesn't have to run for his life. But those neural pathways don't develop by magic. They have to be built. And that's where another metaphor that I like to use a lot that helps me because i got to visualize it is dirt roads and superhighways. So a lot of the horses that come to us um, getting up into thinking regions of their brain is like driving in the dark without headlights on a dirt road. You're going to go really slow, right? You're just you're just going to. Um, so if it's a gravel dirt road, I don't know the terrain, I'm going to go really slow, and that obviously is going to slow my response time. 
We want to turn that dirt road, though, into a superhighway. Because when you're on, you know, an interstate, you're driving at a pretty good clip. You know the road is not going to take any sharp dips or turns. It's lighted. You've got a sense of what is, you've got a pathway that's strong and that you can move quickly on. So with horses and with humans, uh, we're doing that. We're turning dirt roads into superhighways, and we're wanting to turn superhighways that are not helpful any longer into dirt roads, right? So that knee-jerk survival response, I can get into the upper regions of my brain and guide and override my response. And when I say my, I mean, every time I'm talking about horses, I'm talking about people too. This is not any different in my experience, how people learn to respond to what was once a survival response that kept me alive, that is getting in the way of my current reality. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. And I know that was a super long-winded response, and I don't know if I uh, sufficiently covered the territory, but the neuropathways are super highways and dirt roads, and we're messing with which one is the knee-jerk quickest response by the work that we're doing with the horses. No, thank you for, uh, for discussing that and also explaining it. And I do have a follow on, but I don't want to ask you on this question there. I want to ask you when we get to the immersion part of, oh, okay, uh, cool. of, of when, of when a uh, person who's never been around horses before or is very un- uncomfortable around horses and gets yeah. around a, a big, large animal like that and, and how they have to come together, the parallel uh, working together yeah. to, to feel safe so they both can feel safe and how that works for the, the horse and the human. So I'll get to that one. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll get to that one and later. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll, and, but I'll, I'll put a pin on yeah. this just so that folks can uh-huh. be thinking about this, is that it is totally appropriate for a person who doesn't have experience around horses to be somewhat unconfident and somewhat unsure that mirrors almost exactly the horse that comes to us that is unconfident and unsure too. So there's the pathway right there. And we can talk about it more when we get there, but yes, okay. <laughs> if you're not a little bit unconfident or a little bit um, concerned for safety, when you're hanging out with horses, you're not paying attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just this is a fact of the matter. And that's information. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, Shannon, <clears throat> horse sense of the Carolinas I am I'm making an assumption but I I believe that that serves as sort of the umbrella that's the uh, that's the big organization if you will and then you do have um a 501c3 called Heart of Horse Sense. Uh yes. can you explain what Heart of Horse Sense does and and um what that's all about? Sure. Well, and actually uh, Horse Sense is not the umbrella. Horse Sense was the original one. Okay. But it is a it's a separate organization. It is air quotes for profit. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and it it is the delivery of services. Okay. Heart of Horse Sense came about in 2014 after Horse Sense of the Carolinas had been partners with various nonprofits through the decade. The first decade of its of its founding. Um We'd been partners with different nonprofits in order to access uh, federal grants, government grants, uh, community grants, and donations. And really, Heart came about because there's no, there's almost no way <laughs> that an organization that's delivering services has the bandwidth to uh, 
do all of these things like write grants and fundraise and do all of those things in addition to seeing clients. So Heart of Horse Sense came around basically to underwrite our habit of working with people who couldn't pay or people who already had. Mm-hmm. So couldn't pay our, our at-risk kids, our most vulnerable populations, and veterans who already had paid, right? We wanted to give back in that way. So we knew that this was where our hearts were and where we wanted to focus our services, and we had to figure out the money. We had simply had to figure out a way to make it sustainable. And so the nonprofit came about so that it could train and educate and screen quality professional equine-assisted programs. That's a mouthful. So we train internationally. We train programs from all over about cultural competency, working with the military, cultural competency, working with um, kids from less than nurturing backgrounds. Uh, So we do those trainings uh, nationally and internationally. Regionally, though, we screen, we vet, and we then fund those programs that meet our criteria, that they they are doing all sorts of things above and beyond having a horse and a curry comb. That's, you know, having a horse and a groom kit is, it's a, it's a little more complicated than that. Can great things happen with a horse and a curry comb? You betcha. Mm-hmm. But what we're up to is something a little different. And the things that we fund as Heart of Horse Sense are programs that are really trauma-informed, that understand what you were asking about a minute ago, Mike, about the neural pathways and how we're really... Um, making a difference, long-term difference, not just petting horses and feeling better, which is great, mm-hmm. but interacting with horses and changing changing our, our neurobiology uh, for a better future. Right. So does that help, Sherry? It does. <laughs> yes, it does. Thank you. And for our listeners out there, um, the EOD Warrior Foundation has worked with Heart of Horse Sense uh, for several years with uh, various retreats and, and different demographics that we've served through our retreat work. And I can uh, speak personally that it's it's quite a powerful program, and uh, the staff there is just excellent. And you you obviously are included in that, Shannon. But um, I just encourage everybody to check it out, and <clears throat> also keep an eye out for future retreats and that sort of thing. But um, we we had the privilege of meeting Shannon probably four years ago now through our friend Melissa Seligman and have done some great work. And um, so thank you for that. Thanks for, um, you know, explaining more about Heart of Horse Sense, uh, Shannon. Yeah. Um, So I've been to the property. Mike has been to your property. But for our listeners, can you paint a picture for us? Uh, Describe the grounds and how many horses you have there and you know, share something, share some things about your staff and also the demographics that you serve. Yeah, absolutely. So the farm itself is plus or minus 110 acres at any given time. And it's rolling Western North Carolina. So think Blue Ridge, then you've kind of got the idea of the hills. It's 20, 25 minutes from downtown Asheville. So it's close enough to be convenient, but far enough away to not feel like city. Uh, and it is. It was, it was tobacco farm and cattle before we purchased the property. For my husband and I purchased it in 2000. So um, nice rolling hills, as as you know, we often say. Um, 
at any given time, 25 is a good guess about how many horses are on the farm. I think at the present moment, they're 28. Uh, only, and I haven't done the math um, recently, and th- there's a reason I don't do the math is because I'm an English major. But <laughs> plus or minus, only 20 of them are that belong to the farm and belong to the, the the organizations that function here on the farm. We have several boarders, um, boarding horses, so individuals who board their horses at our farm. Um, so we have several boarders, some of which are involved in the therapy as well. We have... Um, we foster for the local rescue. So when horses come in that need kind of special treatment and special placement, uh, since we're here 24-7, we can provide that kind of round-the-clock care and special attention when a horse is in need of serious rehab. And in fact, that's how we just recently adopted two new horses, Pumpkin and Spice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Pumpkin and Spice, who are two little Hofflinger horses that we are training up to be part of our youth program. Um, Hofflingers, when you think Hofflingers, think propane tanks with legs. Um, cause they're, <laughs> that's basically what they're round, they're sturdy, and they're smaller. So, uh, and they're, they're, they're adorable. They're coming along oh. really well, but they're the first horses that the nonprofit has officially adopted as it, as their own. Um, so we've got, what kind of horses do we have? We have good ones. We have big ones. We have little ones. We have heavy ones. We have thin ones. We have brown and black and white. We have all different kinds. I'm a big fan of diversity in the herd, mm-hmm. mainly because um, people are so different, right? And that's where kind of the the start of the process happens is who are you drawn to? Why are you drawn to that horse? Why is that horse drawn to you, right? So I like to have a lot of uh, diversity in the herd. So boys and girls and paints and all, all different kinds of things um, to really kind of spark the juices of the varying populations that come here. And, and that really goes to your next question, which is who are the populations that come? Well, we have spent a good portion of our first decade working with high-risk at-risk youth. So we were working with incarcerated youth. We were working with gang-involved youth. And, uh, you know, they would literally be, you know, cuffed and shackled and brought to the farm and then mm-hmm. unshackled and play with the horses, shackled and go back to the uh, the lockdown facility. And we did that for the gang violence prevention program for about five years and have continued to work in juvenile justice. So this tends to be a very appropriate intervention for those for whom traditional talk therapy is either so overdone <laughs> that like they know that they know the drill, they know what they're supposed to do in therapy, they're therapy savvy or treatment savvy um, and or not at all interested in treatment, right? This is, this can work where other things don't. Um, so, much of our work has been in that area. <laughs> Sorry, I, for the background noise, I have a Boston Terrier who is running around a little crazy here. No, that's, okay. that's not distracting. Um, but uh, so we've worked with juvenile justice populations. We've worked with a lot of addiction and recovery. And really what we found in our first 10 years was that although we were working with quote-unquote juvenile justice and quote-unquote substance abuse, what we were really working with all along underlying everything was trauma, right? So once we really understood trauma, that that was what we were doing day in and day out, um, 
we got were able to be a lot more focused and specific about how we did this intervention with horses. And about that time was when two things started to happen. First, the lockdown facility uh, closed, and we were like, oh, my goodness, now now what? Because that was a huge part of our day-to-day. And when that facility closed, we're like, well, what are we? We're trauma experts, and where else is there trauma? And, of course, the next thing that came to mind was all of our veterans returning from Iraq and Afghanistan and the overwhelming uh, issues around PTSD and trauma and anxiety and depression. So we started taking those skills and really applying them towards our returning veterans. We also at the same time started to think about, okay, we know that we are super effective with kids from 12 to 16 who have gotten locked up, right? Um, We knew that our boys, like one year out of treatment, 80% 80% of them had not reoffended. So that's a crazy statistic in the recidivism world. Um, so what if, crazy idea again, we could get to them before they got locked up, right? Because getting locked up, that's going to knock on consequences that we can't help them with. What if we could get to them before they got locked up? So we started going younger and younger and younger, and to date have been partnering with an organization for about eight years now, where we work with kiddos that are anywhere from five to ten, and it's amazing work. And these kids are coming from less than nurturing backgrounds, uh, poverty, you know, planned housing developments, uh, a lot of racism, a lot of um, uh, socioeconomic uh, justice issues. Um, they're coming from really tough backgrounds, and. We've really had an enormous, exciting time working with these kiddos, and the, you know, we're the least of it. The horses have really shined working with these populations. So we work with a lot of young kiddos. We work with a lot of veterans and first responders, and we've opened it up in the past couple of years to include all first responders. We also classify teachers as first responders because mm-hmm. oftentimes the teachers are the first to see the markers of trauma and of issues in children um, that get brought to attention, right? So our teachers are now classified by us as first responders. And more recently, we've also been able to systematically and in an organized fashion um, start to work with survivors of human trafficking, uh, domestic and interpersonal um, or in, um interpersonal violence and uh, sexual assault and sexual trauma. So, you know, it's, it's a real light day around here. We don't do much of anything, (laughs) right? It's real. We're, we're, you know, eating bonbons and having a good time. Yeah. Um, When you think trauma, this is really one of the, one of the most effective ways to help Mm -hmm. with that. Because if it were all in our head, if it were all in the neocortex, we could talk our way through that. But it's not, and that's what we know. That's what we thought. It was all in your head. Mm-hmm. And if we could just get you to talk about it, it would all be fine. We know that's not true now. Mm-hmm. Now, that might work for a couple, but it doesn't work for a lot. Right. And this works in ways that that doesn't. And it's this whole body experience, which I'm going to get off to the races on that conversation. So, <laughs> pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, so that's in a nutshell who we work with. We work with trauma. Period. Right. Incredible work as well, um, Shannon. So, in working with all of you know the various demographics of folks that have suffered some sort of trauma, um, whether it be mild or severe, um, what is how is your staff trained to handle that? Tell us about your staff and who you have there oh, to be, yes. um, you know, on the receiving end and to help guide these folks. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, so at any given time, we have two mental health professionals. Um, so right now, uh, we have a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, we also have a licensed professional counselor. And so that's our, our clinical team. We at any time also have two to four what we call horse professionals or equine professionals or equine specialists. That The terminology has yet is in the process of being standardized, but it isn't yet, so... So, and all of the folks, all of the humans here have been trained in horsemanship and specifically a, a particular kind of natural horsemanship that we're pract- practitioners of, something called Pirelli, P-A-R-E-L-L-I. And uh, so we're all trained in Pirelli. We're all trained in uh, what we call the fundamentals of trauma-informed equine-assisted psychotherapy. Say that three times fast, right? <laughs> um, so it's it's exactly kind of the question that Mike was asking. It's like, well, so what's happening in the brain when we're doing this work? And this training by natural lifemanship uh, is, and that's a play on natural horsemanship, natural lifemanship has really created, I think, the gold standard in terms of uh, the neurobiology of healing from trauma and um, the the practical applications of healing from trauma, so that both and both theory and practice. So we're all trained in that. We're all cross trained. We have all of our horse professionals get trained in HIPAA and you know confidentiality and in lots of these clinical issues. Although we're not clinicians, mm-hmm. and all of the mental health professionals are cross trained into horsemanship and understanding. Um, uh, good natural horsemanship principles as well. Very good. So there's a lot of training and certifications and all sorts of stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone needs to be trained in cultural competency of working with different populations. Sure. And, well, um, I remember, I, I believe that you do have some veterans on your staff also. Um, we that, do indeed. Mm-hmm, that actually yes. work with some of the veteran programs. So um. Yes, yes, thank you. I, I, uh, uh, well, so my husband, among them, uh, <laughs> my husband is one of the original horse professionals here at the farm, uh, and he was in the Air Force uh, for a number of years and uh, separated the year I met him, and we met in 93, and then moved here in 2000. He was not into horses at that time, so uh, that is uh, proof in the pudding. I was the horse crazy one, and he came along for the ride and and then got the bug when we Mm -hmm. got here in North Carolina. So he is a horse professional with a client. He also leads a program here that we call the Wild Bunch, and the Wild Bunch is where we take in horses that are really at the very early edge of um, rec- recovery. So mm-hmm. they may they may be dangerous. They may be they may have lots and lots of big issues. Mm-hmm. So the Wild Bunch program trains veterans to train those horses. 
Oh, so awesome. it's a super fun program mm-hmm. where it's, you know, and usually the folks that are in the Wild Bunch program are folks that have been through um, a series of, um, you know, treatment here at the farm, either clinical treatment or other, and they get selected for the Wild Bunch uh, so he runs the Wild Bunch program mm-hmm. and, of course, assists in, in everything that happens here on the farm. He's the ranch manager and trains up all the horses and makes sure the fences are standing and mm-hmm. does all of those exciting things. Uh, and then uh, Jake LaRue is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, and he's been with us for about eight years now. He moved to Asheville uh, thinking that his future was going to be um, dogs and veterans, and he and I, I kid you not, met at a silent meditation retreat. <laughs> and it's amazing the relationship that you develop after spending five days in silence, sitting next to one another meditating. <laughs> we, seriously, we had a, an immediate connection, and he found out about the work that we were doing and now has a horse here of his own and is, you know, we joke and say that we had to give him a job so that he would leave at the end of the day mm-hmm. and not uh, turn up underfoot. So he has been... Um, part and parcel of our veterans program and is part of nine tenths of the veterans things that are mm-hmm. happening here. Of course, not all of them, but we uh, have a program. Our signature program is uh, Fallen Fridays. So April through November, any Friday, every Friday, 10 to noon is a free walk on program for veterans and first responders and their adult partners. Um, so That's that fantastic. is uh, one of them, one of the programs that he is in charge of that and a number of other <laughs> veterans programs that we have going as well. Right. Well, we were going to kind of um, drill down to some of those programs, I think, Shannon, just so that folks out there listening could better understand what you have to offer there. In particular, um, for veterans and families, um, I know that you also do, um, you mentioned the Fall in Friday, which I think is a, an awesome, awesome opportunity. But you have group programs, you have uh, something called immersion uh, retreats, yep. and then yep. also individual uh, therapy um, for folks. So can you touch lightly on, on those? Yes, absolutely. So the I'll I'll start with the individual therapy. Um, well, maybe yeah, I'll start with individual. Uh, so the individual therapy is outpatient therapy, just like and of course not at all like going to a regular therapist in a traditional four walls office, right? Um, so we do in outpatient therapy. Many of our clients are within two to three hour driving distance of us, and they drive in for their sessions and. Um, once a week for 12 to 26 weeks is the usual course. Um, we can be a lot more effective in a shorter period of time, um, although we'll continue treatment until treatment is no longer mutually agreed upon necessary. Um, so our individual program works like that. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of different groups, of course, in the midst of our current um, reality of the pandemic. Many of our groups from the local VA and uh, the veterans organizations in Western North Carolina uh, haven't been coming as often, but we do regularly have eight-week groups for veterans from the VA, from the community um, so, and again, those are all drawing from folks that are two to three hours within a two to three hour driving distance. Mm-hmm. Um, our immersions are where folks come and stay on the farm. Th- Thursday through Sunday is our 
it's either Wednesday through Sunday or Thursday through Sunday, depending on the program. Um, we know there's a lot of other programs out there that are much longer, uh, you know, like a week long or two weeks. or And we kind of really start out positioning this as a, a toe in the water, right? Um, Thursday to Sunday is the max for a lot of folks that are in the early phases of recovering from trauma and PTSD. And so we like to keep it short. Uh, we have it where folks stay on the farm. They can wake up in the morning and feed with us if they want. Uh, throughout the day, they'll be doing individual therapy. They'll be doing group therapy. They'll be doing natural horsemanship. Uh, and just really in, in infusing you with the rhythms of the farm. Um, and then you know, in the evening, they can feed with us in the evening. And we have wonderful meals and all sorts of other things are available to folks that are coming for the immersions. We have yoga and we have meditation. We have all these different things that can happen. But the most important thing for us is kind of this heavy dosing of what happens in a natural environment like this with living, breathing, sentient beings as partners. And that's what the immersions tend to look like. So our immersions may be um, for, let's say, male combat veterans, and that they can be coming from Alaska or New York or Texas or wherever. Uh, we've had women's uh, veterans retreats, and again, they've been far-flung, come from all over. One actually came from Greenland. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, she had been stationed and was, shockingly, had you know separated and wasn't finding services for her and it's like, well, come on back. Mm -hmm. So she did. Um, so women's veterans retreats, we've done retreats for veteran couples. Um, so where both of the veterans are in the service or have been in the service. And then we've also done what I call kind of family immersions. And so for, for families that are further away that can't take advantage of you know, outpatient therapy here, that they might come and spend a weekend that same time on the farm doing some kind of intense focused work uh, individually and as a family unit. Um, so those are also available, but those are, um, you know, by arrangement, of course. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Well, thank you for that, Shannon. Shannon, when we had our pre-call, we were talking about some of the similarities and differences uh, about therapy animals and we were talking about horses and dogs. I know that uh, in, in my work with working with wounded warriors for about a dozen years now, many of them have acquired and still have their, their therapy service dog for PTSD and other issues. Um, how, how do horses work as therapy animals? And, and what, what do you find interesting between the two, the dogs and the horses? Well, it's a great question, and that, of course, uh, I mentioned earlier that, that Jake LaRue, the Marine Corps vet, had thought that dogs was going to be his way forward, and dogs are amazing, right? So there's a level at which animals, in and of themselves, uh, help us in the healing journey, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about oxytocin, which is the cuddle hormone that releases in me and releases in my dog when I pet them, um, releases in me and releases in my horse when I pet my horse, right? So there's just this sentient being outside of myself that is therapeutic, unquestioning, right? This companionship. Now, horses, however, are prey animals, whereas dogs are predators. So that requires a slight shift 
in um, it, it is a shift in who they are and how they show up. And what I mean by that is that dogs will often stay with folks that are not the best for them, the healthiest for them, um, that treat them badly, for example, and they'll stay to get enough praise, recognition, and pork chops. Right? That's the joking way that we say predators are motivated by praise, recognition, and pork chops to stay in situations that are not necessarily completely in their best interest to mm-hmm. get those things. You know, think about if I, if you come home from work today and your dog has chewed up the couch, you're going to use a certain tone of voice and your dog is going to notice that and go, uh-oh, I've really screwed up, right? They care about praise and recognition like that, right? Now, when I go up to my horse's stall and he's pooped all over it, I, I you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get the same response by me saying bad horse mm-hmm. that I would say bad dog, right? Horses as prey animals, are, they're just not motivated by those kinds of things. Um, they're motivated instead by safety and then comfort and play and food, right? So, you are probably not going to have a lot of success getting a horse to do something to get food that he doesn't think is safe. Whereas you can get people and dogs to kind of do some stuff that's not great in order to get that, you know, T-bone steak or get, you know, that new washer and dryer, you know, with to be human, right? Um, so the skill set that you need to partner with and connect with a prey animal is very different than the skill set that you might need to connect with a predator, right? And so what we know is that force, fear, and intimidation work. They work. We know they work, right? And that's that's why we go to war. Um, what doesn't work, though, none of those work with prey animals, uh, force, fear, and intimidation does not get the job done. You have to exercise different muscles to connect with an animal whose first question is, are you safe? Right? Are you safe? And are you, do you know your own mind? Um, then they're going to start to worry about other things like, uh, if you're safe, then I can start to worry about, do you have food? <laughs> do you have yeah. a sugar cube? Um, right? But what we need to do to connect with that prey animal is often very different than what we have to do to connect with a predator. So for a predator, right, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Whereas prey, because of how they've evolved, horses in particular, so let's let's take a water hole as an example. A predator would go, I'm thirsty, where's the water? Let me go to the water, right? I'm going to go straight to it. Whereas a prey animal is going to, you know, like circle around to the right, look around a little bit, see what's what over here on this side of the water hole, and then kind of meander over to the left, do a little recon of the left over there, see if everything looks safe, and then going to cut back over to the right and is slowly going to make its way to the water hole after really evaluating safety, right? And trying to force a horse to go straight line when he or she feels that safety is at play is going to, is going to be a losing um, effort. Um, So what we need to do to connect with who we need to be and what we need to do to connect with a prey animal is very, very different than what we need to do than to connect with a a dog. Um, And 
humans are both predator and prey. So we've got elements of both. So people talk about humans being predators, but everybody who reads the paper uh, knows that we're also prey. Mm -hmm. So we've got skills to develop in working with both creatures. And I think we're a little too focused sometimes on how do we work with predators and not often enough about how do we how do we work with prey and connect. And it just builds a different muscle muscle set in us. Um, I had a, a Navy SEAL one time call uh, trying to figure out if this was going to be therapy that would be useful for him. And he was having um, problems at home with his 17-year-old daughter. It's just interpersonal, you know, challenges. No surprise, right? So he said, you know, the just get the job done, mission first, bootstraps, let's get on with it, works great for my direct reports. Right? It doesn't help me at all when my 17-year-old daughter's boyfriend has broken up with her. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, right? You yeah. know, who, where, was the, where was the training for that? Where was the training to help her through that kind of circumstance? And it's just, it's just a completely different skill set. And that's the skill set, that interpersonal connection and relationship building skills that gets worked on with prey animals more so than it does with predators. Well, thank you for talking about the distinction. I think that's really important and fascinating. I also like how you said uh, humans have both, and, and you see it. Um, you recognize it in yourself, I think, and you, you, you see it in others. And in many ways, for for those who are hurting and suffering, um, regardless of what they're putting out there, whether it be uh, you know aggressive behavior, et cetera, um, they're really not going to open up until they feel safe around you. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Great stuff. Thank you. So, Shannon, uh, going back to the immersion uh, program, which is really cool in the fact that you get this whole experience uh, being in the great outdoors, working with the horses, getting more comfortable around them. And then I wanted to get back to that relationship that you mm-hmm. establish, you can establish very quickly with a horse. That does something to you. Um, there's that there's that pathway. I think it was described to me a long time ago, and you may and I'd like for you to to tell our listeners what that is for you. But for me, it was described as here you are. You may have never been around a horse before. You are you're wondering, you know, should I run away? This this is a huge animal, and you get in the you get in the pen, or you get in that close contact with that horse that you've never met. And uh, it was described to us that our our thoughts and our feelings had to be in line with our actions towards the horse. If we were not honest, then that horse was going to sense that. Could you talk a little bit about that? And then how does that how did how does those relationships come together? And what does that what does that do for that person who feels like they're making this connection with an animal that doesn't talk back to them, but they feel as though there is there is some healing going on inside of them. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, um, gosh, how much time do we have? That's such a wonderful question. There's so many different ways. But I'll start with uh, what happens when folks first come to the farm. And it is, it's how the work works that most people do not have this kind of connection with nature and with animals anymore. I mean, it used to be that everybody had a horse. Now, you know, it's rare, it's unusual to have a horse. So the novelty of this this therapy 
is part of why it works because we're not talking about talking to someone in an office environment about what happened when I was in this novel environment. We're actually in the novel environment in real time with the therapist so that we can accurately see what the client, what the human response to this stimulus, this novel environment is, right? And that is going to speak volumes about oftentimes how they're currently meeting novel environments out in the quote-unquote human world. So stepping into the arena is um, like a a real incubator of what happens when I step into novel environments, which, as you know, for folks with trauma and PTSD, is not something that's, you know, like first on the list. Let me see how many novel environments I can throw myself into because there's so much overwhelming stimulus. Mm-hmm. What do I need to pay attention to? What matters? What's a threat? What's not? Right? All of that stuff figures into it. And we want to partner with the person as they're stepping into that flood, really, because it is the flood. Um, so stepping into the arena and really landing and equalizing, I think, is some of the first things that need to happen. Like, can I breathe in this space? Can I take some deep breaths? Can I hang out with 3,000 pound prey animals at liberty in close proximity and equalize to that? And that may be some of the very first things that happen when a client comes to the farm. Beyond that, the next step would be, of course, as you said, to start to engage a little bit more deeply. Right, And this is where, again, as a treatment team, if you're not somewhat aware of your own personal safety, that's information that's helpful for us to know, right? If you're not taking care of yourself and not aware of potential threats, then that may tell us that you're on the hypoarousal, which is the big word of the day. Hypoarousal um, is stuck on low or all brakes and no gas pedal, really depressed and below the curve, as it were, as opposed to hyperarousal, which we all tend to hear that phrase a fair amount, where I'm stuck on high, I'm seeking adrenaline, I'm seeking a rush, I'm constantly moving, and I'm constantly on alert. So uh, we want to invite folks to connect with the horses in whatever way feels comfortable for them. But the horses are also connecting, right? It's not, it's not a one-way, it's not a uh, it's not a, a one-way loop here. There, there's this connection between the two people, the two beings, as it were. And so horses don't care what you're feeling. Right? They're not afraid of really strong emotion. They're not ra- afraid of rage. They're not afraid of grief. They're not afraid of these super intense, strong emotions that many humans are afraid of, right? Because they can feel overwhelming. Horses aren't afraid of those emotions, but they are concerned when you pretend not to have them. Mm-hmm. So think of bravado. Think of, I am, no, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of this at all, but I'm pretending not to be afraid. And that's when a horse is going to go, hmm, you don't know your own mind. Therefore, you're unsafe. Yeah. Right? If you don't know your own mind, then to some degree, you are unsafe. And that's, that is an appropriate response. So being able to be real and be authentic and own your feelings, which sounds so therapeutic, right? But it is really, really hard, especially when 
defense has been our survival strategy, right? Whatever defenses we've built up to keep ourselves safe, oftentimes are the things that block us from having any kind of real connected relationship with ourselves, with other people, with the world around us, right? So the horses kind of insist on you being authentic or congruent. That's the phrase that you were referencing there, Mike, in your description. We talk about, do your insides match your outsides? And if you're afraid of me, no problem. But if you're pretending not to be afraid of me, then we might have a problem. And by might have a problem, the horse is probably going to choose either to move away from you or to start to push into you to try and wake you up. A bit like uh, the, remember those old commercials, and this will tell you how old I am, those old Aqua Velva commercials where someone gets slapped across the face and they're like, thanks, I needed that, right? I needed to come out of it. (laughs) Um, To some degree, the horses have that sense too, like, no, 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 you need to be here. And they might, I've actually one time seen a horse um, very gracefully and very kindly just nudge a client from one side of a 120-foot arena to the other side. Just, you know, keep nudging him while he's talking. He's trying to tell us <laughs> He's trying to tell us his story, right? He's right. telling us mm-hmm. the story that he needed us to hear. And the horse is like, oh, go on with your story. Come on. Mm-hmm. Get and finally, at the end of this, you know, movement from one side of the arena to the other, it's like, you know, this horse, and this was actually Gus, just to, to full circle you on that, yeah. Mike and Jerry, this was Gus. Aww. And we said, yeah, so what, you've never, this has never happened with Gus before. What do you think is going on here? And the person was like, I have been totally selling you guys a line. That is not at all true what has been going on. Mm-hmm. What I was just telling you is not really what's happening. This has happened, this has happened, these terrible things have happened, and the horse is completely on to me, and he's like, shut up and tell the truth already. <laughs> <laughs> So wow. then we were able to kind of drop down into what's really going on. Yeah. And that's what happens mm-hmm. is that horses invite us and some to sometimes insist on us being real and present, which again is a bunch of 10 cent therapist words for being right here right now. Mm-hmm. And if we're not right here right now, if we're worried about what's going to happen in the future or what happened in the past, we miss right now. And right now is the only thing we have the ability to impact. Can't change the past, can't predict the future, can't, you know, control it. But how I behave right now is an indicator of what my future will look like. And here's the, here's the invitation, right? What, mm-hmm. what, what needs to change and how do I go about doing that in connection so, in a, uh, and this is another piece that feels to me super important about why horses and why this, is that we're not asking you to, okay, here's a list of all the things that you need to do the next time something happens, right? Who can remember that list when it happens, right? We're all like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to stop, you know, take 10 breaths, right? All those different things. That is an upper um, brain response. That is my ability to guide and override. And if that's not there, how do we get there? And that's what happens by being present moment with the horses and being in connection with the horses. That's a whole other level of ask, as it were. 
Mm-hmm. So landing and occupying the same space, owning what I'm feeling and how I'm feeling, regardless of whether I like it or not, that's, you know, the starting point. And then we start to get into relationship. Um, and that is where safety is, right? We're, we're, we're harmed in relationship and we're healed in relationship. And the healing relationship is what starts to develop with the horses. And non-judgmental, don't care how much your tennis shoes cost, what kind of car you drive, uh, you know, where you were deployed, if you were deployed, if you saw combat, if you didn't see combat. They, they have none of that judgment opinion uh, pretense that the human world does. They want to know how you are right here, right now. And there's an enormous gift in not having any of that human world stuff inter interplay interact and impact our relationship. Like, oh, okay, all right, let's let's see who you are, and that's who they are. They want to know: Are you going to be a good part of this herd? Are you going to be uh, detracted to this herd? Are you safe? And do you know your own mind? And that's that's a that's a big question these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Shannon, thank you for explaining that. I was listening to you and I was going over the experience I had when I first uh, was introduced to equine therapy and I'm just watching it in my mind as as you're explaining it and and that's why I think that this uh, therapy working with horses is so powerful because I've also seen the transformations in those who are hurting coming forward and then going through everything you just described and in the end uh, being able to open up for the first time where you know maybe months and months of in office therapy uh, wasn't happening for them, and this this kind of took them to to another level, so they could get on the road to their healing. So, thanks for explaining yeah. that. And I would also like to tell you that I used to use Aqua Velva, so thanks for reminding me how old I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the old slap Aqua Velva, great commercials by the way. Uh, so, Hadn't thought of that in a while, had you? Yeah, no, I have not. No, no, slap me right into Aqua Velva. So. Uh, Leading me into the next question, so this current pandemic that we've all been dealing with, 2020, has been a a year we'd like to put behind us, and uh, everything has changed. Uh, We're all all feeling like we're being forced indoors, Uh, we're not traveling like we used to, a lot of of events for many people, uh, including the UD Warrior Foundation, has been put on hold, we have... We have pivoted to doing different things such as this podcast and others to to make our connections with our community. How has Horse Sense fared during the pandemic in regards to, in regards to uh, you know, how is your participation? Uh, what, what have you done differently? And uh, what's been the result? Well, uh, it has been, it, you know, it's been an adjustment and it has been amazing because the horse's aren't operating in a pandemic that it, it, it reminds me and I'll, I'll, I'll sidestep just a minute to, to point out that when nine 11 happened, um, we were here on the farm and we were building one of the arenas and the team that was building the arena had gotten in the habit of stopping at the house and having a cup of coffee on their way up to do construction for the day. And when they arrived, they're like, you know, we just heard the strangest thing on the radio. Would you turn on the news? Because we were watching Sports Center or something like that. So we turned on the news and we saw the second plane, right? Um, 
one of the things that sustained me was that nothing in the horse's world changed that day. Right? And that was actually mm-hmm. a real comfort to me, that nothing changed in that. They, they still needed to get fed. They had no concept of what had happened and how it had kind of shifted our world. Uh, and that was uh, a, a welcome respite from what was to become, you know, a very different world that we're stepping into. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, the pandemic has not impacted them in any way, shape, or form. And that stability, that comfort is still present. And we talk about that a fair amount with the clients that come out. They recognize that, you know, we're wearing something strange over our faces, but it was never our faces that they were responding to anyhow. So they don't really care. Um, we have been... 110 Acres gives us a unique ability to continue to offer services. You can be within six feet of a horse and not contract or give coronavirus. Um, Our staff, we've been able to maintain socially distant treatments and socially distant treatment teams. So we haven't stopped one minute. In fact, we've only accelerated. Now, we've accelerated our individual therapy and our very small groups. So at the height of the pandemic in April and May, our fall and Fridays became a one-hour, three-person maximum group. So we would have three humans, two treatment team professionals, the horse professional and the mental health professional, and horses. So that gave us five people in a 100 by 110 outdoor environment. And we're all masked up, so everybody's checking boxes and we're doing what the CDC recommends. And so we're covered and good there. And everyone, of course, has you know signed the liability saying, I understand that being out here and not being in my home exposes me a little bit. Um, but we've been able to keep going with groups and keep going with our individual therapy in ways that, you know, we're really grateful for because people need more help now, not less. <laughs> and this is a very, very unique way to still have contact with a lot of the sensory experience that heals traumatized brains. So it's not just uh, talking about it and it's not uh, being necessarily uh, in a relationship or on the back of a horse that is a magic ticket. A lot of what heals traumatized brains is rhythmic, patterned, repetitive, natural environments, right? So people are still able to come to the farm. They're still able to brush horses. They're still able to have the sun on their skin and feel the wind on their face and feel, hear the sound of the wind in the trees, right? All of these things that we're catching on to now scientifically are part of what soothes traumatized brains. Um, it's happen- it still happens regardless of the pandemic. So we've ratcheted up our individual therapy. We've actually been able to make lemonade a bit because many of our families, our kiddos, we weren't able to see their parents or their extended family because they were working six jobs to put food on the table. Well, now they're not working six jobs. So they've been able to come out to the farm and we've been able to see the entire family, which was always the ideal, but not always practical. We've had that ability to do that, and and it's been 
wonderful. We've been able to see these intact families and really help make a dis- difference systemically. And intact families of veterans with their partners and their kiddos, able to get them all in the same room or the same arena, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's been absolutely lovely. And of course, many of our groups from our local VA, uh, they would come uh, monthly or every six weeks with, you know, 15 people. We obviously aren't doing that. The VA doesn't have any outside groups anymore. So we're really missing that contact. We're really missing the immersions because unless it's already an intact group, i.e. unless everybody's already living together, we can't do an immersion because we're not going to bring, you know, six strangers in to a single house and share space. And uh, that's just, it's a non-starter. So we're hoping to be able to start our immersions again uh, next year. Uh, But we have also been able to do crazy things like telehealth with horses. I kid you not. We have the telehealth platforms, the same that I'm sure many of your listeners have experienced where they're doing telehealth sessions, um, except we're live streaming the horses from the arena. And the horses are like coming up to the computer trying to figure out what's going on. And I hear a voice. And, you know, when we started this in April, we're like, okay, let's see what happens with this. I have no idea if this is going to be useful or valuable. And it's been amazing. You know, clients that had strong connections with certain horses before the pandemic have maintained those connections and have continued to feel the healing benefit of hanging out with their partner horse through telehealth, through this live streaming, or through video. Like, we'll shoot video of particular horses that we know certain clients are working with, and we'll share that video with them during our telehealth session and have the same kinds of conversations in a very different way, right, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've also had clients that have never been to the farm that began their treatment via telehealth with the horses. And then when the pandemic started to, the numbers started to drop a bit, would come to the farm. And the horse, I kid you not, would hear the voice and recognize the voice and move towards the person. You know, they, they're they not constrained by the same things that constrain us. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's amazing. So uh, we ebb and flow. Our clients are, they can either do in-person session or they can do telehealth. And we can change that on the fly as need be because you've just got to be flexible in this environment. But we have, we've been busy. And we've been really grateful to to be able to be busy and to be able to continue to make a difference because, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on in people's hearts and heads right now. And space like this can be really, really helpful part of respite. We're not, we're not curing, we're not fixing anything, we're not magic bullets, there's no snapping fingers. Uh, it's long haul and mm-hmm. we're all in it. And how are we how are we going to do it together? And this is the way that we figured out to do it together. And so far, it's working. Oh, that's fantastic! And I I love you sharing that story. Um, I have seen that happen with a lot of organizations during this pandemic, having to be, as you say, flexible, and coming up with yep. new ways to continue to offer services, make those connections, and uh, hopefully advance the needle in in people's lives towards towards wellness and healing. So. That is great. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. So, Shannon, after 
um, individuals or families, um, veterans, if you will, um, complete a program, how do your how do you how does your staff follow up with them? What is the long term um, goal? I, I would imagine with with their their particular program. Right, right. So what we what we do is we have um, our clinical staff will follow up with them at certain prearranged times. So, you know, like one month, six months, one year out, uh, especially with our individual and our immersions. Um, we also continue to take advantage of quote unquote testing opportunities because we need more than ever to prove efficacy. We see efficacy on a day-to-day basis, but uh, not everyone sees what we see, and we need to be able to document this in ways that um, folks that may never set foot on a farm can recognize the power and the benefit of equine therapy. So we do research follow-up as well in those those check-ins. We also uh, try and encourage continuing contact, right? So if they want to uh, come back out for a recharge, come back out for a refresh, uh, they're available. We're available to do that, or we try and find um, a place that they can plug into closer to home, wherever home is, that is doing something similar to or philosophically aligned with the kind of work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another way that uh, folks can stay uh, connected and plugged in. the The nice thing about the pandemic has been that we have heard from veterans that we could never have heard from, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, far-flung Greenland and Alaska, right? Mm -hmm. We've had folks be able to stay connected in ways that or become reconnected with us in ways that we hadn't imagined. And that has given us ideas, right, about how we stay connected with folks uh, post-treatment, as it were. So um, maybe there is, we're in the visioning stage now, of maybe there is a monthly Zoom telehealth mm-hmm. session where mm-hmm. we come back together and connect with the horses and connect with the treatment team and check in, right. as it were. So that is, um, again, uh, lemonade out of lemons. What? How can we move forward in a positive way? Absolutely. So, and of course, we're always available for for picking up the phone and those uh, those check in sessions, whatever they may be, via telehealth or uh, in person. Fantastic. I definitely think that um, the pandemic has kind of forced us all to think a little bit outside of the box. And I think that some of the things that we're doing now to accommodate our community um, and the people that we serve will probably continue uh, just simply from from an effective standpoint. It it just makes sense to continue it. Um, So there there are silver linings (laughs) um, in in every situation, I think, um, as far as specifically when you talk about making lemonade out of lemons, I think that's a a great analogy in in this situation. So thank you. Well, and it it also, you can't get there too fast. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think this is a particularly apropos um, or appropriate time to, to mention that you know, before we get to making lemonade, we have to acknowledge that this sucks. Yeah. Like, this is bad. Yeah. This is tough. And this is, I think, that it is a great example of the difference between, um, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. And you talk about post-traumatic growth too early, you're going to get punched and you're going to be, you're going to deserve it. Right. <laughs> we can't get to lemonade 
until we go through the honesty of, yeah, this is bad. Right. This is tough. And so uh, I, what I don't want folks to think is that, um, and I don't think it's useful to um, put on that rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. of kumbaya and everything's fine, because it's not. We've right. got to have, we have to be congruent. We have to own our real feelings in the real moment before the horses are going to say, oh, you do know your own mind, before movement forward out of this sucks is going to happen. Absolutely. No, fantastic point. Um, So tell us what the future looks like for Horse Sense um, and um, how can our listeners find out more information? Well, uh, so the future uh, is day-to-day Chop wood, carry water, feed horses, move hay. <laughs> right? It's uh, that is, and that is part of the rhythm of the farm, mm-hmm. the rhythm of life, and that is um, where a lot of grace happens. Right? And many of your listeners know the benefit of of that. Um, so we will continue to offer individual therapy. Continue to offer groups as they become available to us with the you know the vaccine. Um, we, we're poised to start scheduling our immersions again, um, and we can schedule immersions tomorrow for intact groups, groups that are already living together and already um, part of the same unit and wish to um, step outside and uh, engage in this kind of service. Um, Fantastic. Um, well, And uh, the way, yeah, I'm sorry, the ways to connect with us, uh, there's our websites, um, the part of Horse Sense, we have um, uh, information about our organization, Horse Sense the Carolinas. There's newsletters, and you can keep up with all that sort of stuff. Um, there's Facebook pages for both mm-hmm. organizations. Okay. There's also specifically um, a wa- uh, Western North Carolina a WNC Horseplay, and that okay. is specifically our Veterans page, mm-hmm. <laughs> Veterans and First Responders page. Uh, for for folks that are either interested in or already have been participants in um, our programming, and that's where we post upcoming events. So that's probably where many folks will find out um, if they're not already on our newsletters when we start having immersions again and when we start having some of our groups again. Our fall-in has gone dormant for this winter, which is always true. Mm-hmm. We go once a month in December, January, February, in March, and then we start up weekly again in April. Okay. And all that is, you know, dependent on the the vaccines, but that is our, our, our prediction. Great. Well, we absolutely appreciate all of the information that you've shared with us today on this podcast, Shannon, and we will certainly list um, the links to Heart of Horse Sense and Horse Sense of the Carolinas and some of the other resources that she mentioned so that folks can learn more about your fantastic organization. And I wanted to just ask one very quick last question, which is um, you are working on a book. You are an author, but you're working on a book. So can you can you share a little bit about what you have written and what you are working on currently? Sure. And I'll mention also as a way, a point of contact, mm-hmm. um, I will recommend Jake LaRue okay. is oftentimes a clearinghouse for all of our inquiries in regards to veterans and first responders. 
And so we'll share his information as well, his email, so that you can contact him directly if you have any questions. Oh, perfect. Um, Thank you. The work that I'm working on, the, the, the books, I've written several books in the field, mainly for folks that want to do this work, if they want to okay. come into this field and do this work. Um, one of them is specifically about writing, running the business of this, which is not why I got in this field. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get in this field to run a business, but yet, here and all, um, that is what's happening. So uh, the only choice is to get good at it and learn about it. So that's one of the books. The other book is called More Than a Mirror. And a lot of times the mirror metaphor is used a lot in mm-hmm. equine therapy. And I deliberately, the book is entitled More Than a Mirror because, you know, the horse is much more than a reflection of us at any time, right? Mm-hmm. It's about connection and interaction, not reflection. So the More Than a Mirror is about our kind of... Um, the philosophy of what we do, uh, the philosophies of how we do it, and asking some questions about the field in particular. Like what it means to be a licensed mental health professional is pretty well known. What credentialing do you need to be an equine specialist or a horse professional? Mm -hmm. Um, Or what specifically do we need from the horses to be able to be good partners for this work? So a lot of the rest of More Than a Mirror investigates those questions. We've written multiple curriculums um, for working with adjudicated youth and incarcerated youth, working with eating disorders, um, you know, all sorts of different populations that we've specialized in mm-hmm. through the years and become really, um, you know, culturally competent in delivering services to. So it's it, the work is ongoing, and and at present, uh, Jake and I are in the process of of writing um, a curriculum specifically for working with um, veterans and first responders. Very good. So that's that's our work this uh, this winter. Awesome. Well, thank you very very much, Shannon. I'm gonna let Mike finish up with some fun questions for you, but it has been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you very much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, Shannon, here we go. And you're not allowed to say Asheville, North Carolina, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And you're not allowed to say horse equine therapy, one of the greatest relaxation and wonderful things to do. So those two are off the list. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. So I got a bunch of don'ts here. Okay. I'm I'm, I'm aware. (laughs) No, just those two. (laughs) I could easily pick Asheville as one of the best places uh, to visit. So I'm going to start off with that. What is your favorite place to visit, not Asheville? <laughs> Ooh, favorite place to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 uh. Anywhere with a fireplace and a book and okay. a snowstorm. I would love that. Awesome. What is your favorite cuisine? What do you What do you enjoy eating most? <laughs> Stuff that's bad for me. Too much sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet tooth, huh? Okay. Um, What is your favorite hobby outside of what you do? Books. 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 Okay. You read books. And so who is your favorite author or genre of book? Uh, Favorite author uh, would be Toni Morrison. Awesome. And which book by her did you enjoy the most? Ooh, wow. Now that, now we're really getting into it. Now it's getting hairy. Uh, I would say Beloved. Beloved, Beloved is probably my favorite of hers. Okay. And uh, last but not least, what is your favorite season of the year? 
Gosh. They all have such important applications, which is why I moved from Florida, just saying. Um, Because I didn't feel like I was getting enough seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to go with fall. Fall, okay. Most of uh, most of the folks that we talk to say fall, and I, I I can't disagree with them, especially with <laughs> global warming, right? Getting so hot, uh, <laughs> and then the leaves turning colors and the coolness uh, makes sense. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being on today and just sharing everything about what you do. It is it is so amazingly awesome. Um, I. I just want to say thank you. Uh, you guys are awesome in what you do, and this is your program it has already helped and will continue to help so many people from all, all different walks of life, and we're just so grateful to you for coming on today and sharing your story, your program with our audience. Thank you so much. Absolutely, and thank you for y'all's partnership because we can't do this work with, uh, without organizations like y'all's. So we are happy to provide the services, and oftentimes uh, we need a partner agency uh, to to partner with in order to to serve. So we're really grateful to be working with y'all. Thank you, Shannon, and our best to you and your husband and staff there at Horse Sense of the Carolinas. Thank you so much. Thank you, indeed. Happy happy trails. Happy, happy trails. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.